Hey friends, welcome to the Pastor's Cut Podcast. Here we are in Studio B at First Baptist Tulsa. I want to welcome you. We have with us in the studio Darren. Darren, say hi. What does Studio B stand for? Is it Studio Brad? Is that what it means? That's what I'm going to call it, yes. And we also have Brad Henderson, who also wrote the, the song that you heard at the beginning of the podcast. Brad, say hi. Hi. Thank you. <laughs> we don't have any fun when we record this at all, as you can tell. Sorry. So uh, we were small talking, Brad and I, before we got started, and Brad showed me an adorable picture on his phone. And so we decided for our small talk, before we get serious into the nitty-gritty of, of our conversation in Ruth chapter 3, we talk about what is the cutest picture that you have on your iPhone. So, Brad, it's only fitting since I've already teased it out. What is the cutest picture you have on your iPhone? Go, Bradford. Well, I got it this week, and my little granddaughter, who just turned one in August, has learned when her picture is being taken to say cheese. Now, given the amount of times that her picture is taken, she gets a lot of time to practice, I think. But here she is saying it right here. She's adorably cute in her pajamas saying cheese perfect curly wonderful cheese there it is oh that was it is it all right dave cutest picture on your iphone so cutest picture on my iphone currently is of my three little turkeys dressed up in their little <laughs> turkey headdresses that they made on thanksgiving morning very nice yeah it's it's a shame that all of them are kids but really after we after we hit about 18 or 19 we're not cute anymore um, but but i have a picture of my kids halloween Circa 2004, and they're all on the front porch in their Halloween costumes, and they're all like singing a different song. And I just, uh, it's a video that I captured a picture of that's just the, the chaos and the glory of being a child. So here's the assignment we, we use social media for all the wrong reasons. We use it to complain, we use it to argue. Why don't on, if you're listening to this, your social media post today is my pastor encouraged me to post the cutest picture on my iPhone. Post it to your social media feed. Bring somebody else a smile. Enjoy it and just share a good memory. Awesome. Love it. There you go. All right, so we're in Ruth 3. Let me go ahead and read Ruth 3. Uh, This is um, for our Advent series leading up to Christmas, which, oh, by the way, let me just say, Christmas Eve is on the 24th this year. It is? I I thought it was on another day. (laughs) Just want to make sure you're aware. (laughs) <laughs> 3 and 5 p.m. are our uh, two Christmas Eve services, and we're having one Christmas Day service. Happens once every 11 years. Christmas falls on a Sunday. We're doing one service 11 a.m. that morning. And so we are now preparing for the third week of Advent. This is Ruth chapter 3. One day, Ruth's mother-in-law, Naomi, said to her, My daughter, I must find a home for you where you will be well provided for. Now Boaz, who's uh, with whose <laughs> now Boaz, with whose women you have worked, is a relative of ours. Tonight he will be winnowing barley on the threshing floor. Wash, put on your perfume, go down to the threshing floor, but don't let him know you are there until he has finished eating and drinking. When he lies down, note the place where he is lying, then go and uncover his feet and lie down, and he will tell you what to do. So we'll kind of read this in phases today, because there's a lot here. Um, Basically, Ruth and Naomi are eking out a living. They're gleaning from other people's crops. They're just, 
this is subsistence existence. And Naomi kind of goes, we can do this for now, but we can't do this for long. I think all of us have had those times in life where we're just barely making it. We're barely making ends meet. Dave, what was that for you? Oh, goodness. It's been a couple of times. But I remember when I was first married, um, we got married while my wife was working on her last semester in person on campus at, at Baylor. And so I was waiting tables. And she was she got a stipend as part of her package working on her, working on her degree. But it was tight. And so... We had ramen, a lot of meals. We, yep. we had whatever we had to do to make it work. And we were passing in the night because waiting tables is a radically different schedule than teaching classes. Yeah. And there, there were times when, uh, you know, I remember one time in seminary, I had three jobs, you know, so I was always on the move to the next job. So, so you can do it for a while. You just don't want to do it forever. So Naomi goes, okay, we, we can't live like this forever. Let's, let's get you married. By the way, Boaz is a, you know, a wonderful man. Why don't we... Why don't I see if I can't arrange something here? And so Naomi sets him up on kind of a blind date. So I want to have fun with this when I preach this to kind of have people raise their hand. Who, who all has been on a blind date? Who all got married as a result of that blind date? And we have several families in the church that actually are here because of a blind date. Or maybe it was the worst experience of your life. Brad, were you ever on a blind date, Brad? Never have. Really? You well, missed out? Uh, well, sorry. I... Will you just make up a story? Well, it's not like I didn't date, but I just didn't have any blind dates. <laughs> oh, no. And we'll stop there. <laughs> just stop there. Uh, yeah, so so Naomi kind of sets this up. This is the harvest time. Uh, the threshing floor was a place that wheat would be separated or the barley would be separated from the chaff. And it was generally a big celebration, too. And we'll when we get to the message, we'll talk about the threshing floor and how it's often a picture in the scripture of a... There's opportunities for immorality. But here we have two people of integrity on the threshing floor. And again, it's that idea that during the period of the judges, there was a lot of immorality going on, but here are two really stand-up people. Mm -hmm. So the threshing floor is a microcosm of that. Dave, anything you want to say before I move on? I, I like that, that is, as Naomi is trying to, to help set Ruth up and help set both of them up for success, she encourages Ruth to... Put away the the mourning clothes. Wow. Transition instead of instead of wearing mourning clothes, instead of acting like like someone who's who's just a widow who's lost her husband. To to put on almost your best clothes. Get get ready for for a different sort of setting. You know, and that applies to the Christian life too, because in uh, the early days of Christianity, when a person was baptized, they would take off their old clothes, mm. go into the waters of baptism. When they would come out, the church would present them with a new set of clothes, putting on the new man. And I think in Christ, mm -hmm. we need to be remembered that we are defined not by our past defeats, but by the victorious Christ. That's who defines us to put on that new person. So Ruth says, I'll do whatever you say. Uh, so she went down to the threshing floor and did everything her mother-in-law told her to do. When Boaz had finished eating and drinking, again, that's all the men working, kind of turned into a party. If the famine is over and the harvest is coming in, there's a lot of celebration happening. Uh, he was in good spirits. He went over to lie down on the far end of the grain pile. Ruth approached quietly, uncovered his feet, and lay down. In the middle of the night, something startled the man. So he turned, and there was a woman lying at his feet. Who are you? I am your servant, Ruth, she said. Spread the corner of your garment over me, since you are a guardian redeemer of my family. So let's talk about what's, what's happening here. 
the reason Boaz would lay on the grain pile, uh, there were marauders, there were raiders in the day, and so why would you need to farm when you just let the innocent villagers farm, and when the harvest comes in, go down and steal the crops? And so as a protective measure, until the grain could go to market or into the storehouses, uh, they would sleep on the grain piles to protect them, to be ready. And so Boaz was probably armed, even though it was a party. It was also, you know, we've got to be ready in case there are, are predators that attack. But instead of a predator comes a woman, Ruth. What does she do, Dave? Let's kind of make sense of the old, the old uncovering of the feet. Oh, the old uncovering of the feet. So typically in the Old Testament, when you see that phrase, uncovering of feet, it is a sexually suspect phrase. It typically means there's something happening that is not full of integrity. Um, this time, however, that didn't happen. Interesting thing is it, it's a similar phrase that's used, but the way it's described as you read on in the passage, everyone is acting with integrity here. In the middle of, of drunkenness, in the middle of, of maybe even not being fully aware, of Boaz not being fully aware of what's happening because he's had so much alcohol, Ruth acts with integrity. She, uh, he, Boaz acts with integrity in the middle of this. There's no fully uncovering of everything. Can we say hanky-panky? There is no hanky-panky there you going go. on. Hanky-panky. Yeah. That's good. And there's a lot of ink spilled here of, you know, what what's mm-hmm. happening, what's really happening here. It Instead of uncovering the feet being a euphemism, it really is taken quite literally here that she did something, if you've ever had your feet uncovered in the middle of the night and that wakes, causes you to wake up, she was doing something that would cause him to wake up at some point in the middle of the night. And by her saying, spread the corner of your garment over me, essentially it was a marriage proposal. Mm-hmm. That I, I long to be attached to you, your person of integrity. And so there's no hint of sexual impropriety here. And um, the Bible's really candid about its heroes. And if there's a flaw, it, they share that. So here it's, it's not shared. It's actually, look at everything that happened here, complete transparency, but nothing unsundry took place. So Boaz says, the Lord bless you, my daughter. This kindness is greater than that which you have shown earlier. So what's he talking about there? So this marriage proposal of wanting Ruth wanting to attach her life to Boaz, uh, this was a kindness, but the earlier kindness was her fidelity to Naomi. And so, mm-hmm. you know, I saw the way you attached yourself to Naomi. You want to attach your, your life to mine. Uh, this is a gift to me. I'm an old man. You know, there's, you probably could run after younger, more attractive men, but you see integrity. You're drawn to that. Uh, you have not run after younger men, whether rich or poor. And now, my daughter, don't be afraid. I will do for you. All you ask. All the people of my town know that you are a woman of noble character. Boaz would not have said that if <laughs> something unseemly had just taken place. Although it's true that I am the guardian redeemer of your family, there is another who is closely, more closely related than I. Next week we'll talk about the guardian redeemer, so let's just hold that for a bit. Stay here for the night and in the morning. If he wants to do his duty as your guardian redeemer, good, let him redeem you. But if he's not willing, as surely as the Lord lives, I will do it. Lie here until morning. So she lay at his feet until morning, but got up before anyone could be recognized. And he said, no one must know that a woman came to the threshing floor. Uh, Because threshing floors were commonly places of immorality, you know, where party breaks out, if there's men and women around, questionable things will happen. So evidently Boaz set some parameters, he set some boundaries 
when the harvest comes in, when we're partying, no women can be around, not to exclude them, but to exclude the opportunity for us to take advantage of this situation and for bad things to happen. So he still wants to uphold the, the appearance of integrity. Uh, what are you thinking, Dave? I, I, I love the, the language that's used there. You know, Ruth, the I am your servant, Ruth, or early on, she says, when she introduces herself, the word for servant there is, is a word that's used to describe a woman who's ready to be married, someone who is also eager to serve. Um, it's, it's a phrase that's typically used for someone who's putting themselves in a position of vulnerability to say, whatever you want to do with me, I'm ready. I'm, I'm willing and able. Um, it's almost like she's saying, I'm open and available to being married. What would you like to do? Um, and then Boaz, of course, responds in kind. I actually like what Boaz did. I love the, the symbolism of taking your cloak, taking your garment, and putting it over someone. There's something about the, the view or the, the image of covering over someone in the middle of their vulnerability, in the middle of their place of weakness, and saying, I've got your back. I'm going to look out for you. That's what Jesus does for us. It's what Jesus did through the cross. It, it's a beautiful image here of Boaz saying, with everything else going on, of course, I'm going to cover you. I'll take care of you. Yeah. And, and we'll talk about the guardian redeemer uh, next year, the kinsman redeemer, not next year, next week. Uh, but I will hint here that there's a little bit of a double entendre that, that I don't mind playing on here. I want to be careful with this. He says, although I am a guardian redeemer, there's another who is closer related than I. And I think it's a reminder. He is talking about another person who's a family member. He has the first right of refusal to, to take care of you. But for all of us, whatever we rely on for care over our lives, there's always a guardian redeemer who's closer than that. And mm. Christ covers us, and he is our ultimate protection. So Boaz said to her, this is verse 15, Bring me the shawl you are wearing. Hold it out. So he poured out six measures of barley. And I, I did some digging here. Anytime a, a number crops up, I mean, this is a very specific detail. Why didn't he say he just took some barley, uh, placed it in a bundle on her, she went back to town? Why does it say six measures of barley? There's no symbolism necessarily here, although translating the measures, it probably was about 85, 90 pounds of barley. This is a lot, okay? So she could carry it. It would be a, a stress, a stretch, but it was all manageable. But the reason he gives her all she can carry is because of what happens next. Um, then, he, then she went back to uh, town. When Ruth came to her mother-in-law, how did it go, my daughter? How did the blind date go? You know, all the friends <laughs> gathering around, all the, all the girlfriends, how'd it go? She told her everything Boaz had done and said, he gave me these six measures of barley, saying, and these are Ruth's last words in the book, don't go back to your mother-in-law empty-handed. We'll come back to that in a minute. Then Naomi said, wait, my daughter, until you find out what happens, for the man will not rest until the matter is settled today. So he sends her back with just about the maximum amount that she can carry, and Ruth's last words in this book that bears her name is empty-handed. You go all the way back to chapter 1. Naomi returns to Bethlehem. She's lost husband. She's lost her son. I have nothing. I am empty-handed. Boaz is symbolizing through Ruth to Naomi those days of being empty are over. God's mm -hmm. about to start something new. And I, I love that fact that the last words Ruth says, 
basically she says, the empty handedness is over. And Boaz representing that kinsman redeemer is going to fill Ruth and Naomi and their lives and their future with good things. Absolutely, yes. That's from verse 121. Uh, so if you're teaching a small group, you might discuss that. Do you feel empty? How can you find fulfillment? How can you find other people that want to fill you up? I actually love through this whole passage, through all of chapter 3, there's a lot of trust. There's, there, there's good conversations that are going on with Ruth and Naomi. Ruth knows she can trust Naomi and trust Naomi's uh, advice no matter what's going on, even if it means that, that Ruth would put herself in a vulnerable position where she could be taken advantage of, she trusts Naomi's judgment. She also knows that she can trust Boaz because Boaz's reputation is a man of integrity. In a similar way, I think as we look to surround ourselves with other people, we should look for people that we know we can trust, people that we know that are going to look out for our best interests and people that we know that are also going to look for ways to fill us up. And we should also look for ways to fill them up. Absolutely. So it's interesting that everything that happens in chapter 3 happens within about a 12-hour time span. Uh, It's evening as chapter 3 begins, and it's morning as chapter 3 ends. So you just think about the years of challenges that Naomi and Ruth have gone through, um, of loss, of heartache, of eking out a living, just like that. God can begin to change things, and it happens here in a very short time span. The next day would, would, would bear that out, but... My encouragement to people, especially as we live in times of famine, times of depression, times mm. of being down, hang on, don't give up. God, and, and I said this Sunday, or, or when we're recording this, I just preached this last Sunday, that's often in times of pain, it's not that God's plan has stopped, God is actually fulfilling his plan. We've got to hang on. Don't give up. God will change things. And so now we kind of have a cliffhanger. Dave, from chapter 3, any, any last thing? Uh, and, and if I were teaching this, that would be the, the walk-away application I would give. Don't give up. If that emptiness is there, keep, keep going, keep trusting, keep doing the next right thing. God has a way of changing things when we least expect it. Any, any more walk away? He does. I, I think for me, the, the biggest walk-away is we get to choose who we surround ourselves with. If there are people whose voices that surround us that are trying to tear us down, or people that we can't trust that time and time again, they, they prove to us that their advice is bad, that all they want to do is see us fail. We need to get out of that group. We need to find a group of friends that we can trust. And we have amazing community groups. Most of you who are listening are community group leaders and teachers. You know that. You get to experience that. So my challenge is, is invite other people into the community that you're a part of so they can experience this level of trust as well. Yeah, to have people that, that we watch each other's back, we care for one another, and uh, we treat each other well. All right, so from Studio B, Brad, do you have anything else? Negatory, nope. Neg- okay. Never been on a date in his life. He just went from single <laughs> to being a married. That's kind of what I heard. Just just like that. That is the paraphrased version. Yes. It's, it it seems, to, <laughs> seems to work. Well, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you. And may God grant you peace, now and forever. Amen. 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 Amen.